Hey, it's Ben Silverio. And I'm Aaron Klein. And, and it's, it's time to party. That time it was jazz hands. Yes, welcome to Time to Party, where we... I was going to make another time travel joke, but you know, we've we've all... We've heard them all, right? Like... <laughs> <laughs> we made all the time travel jokes. Every time travel joke possible, done. Yep. <laughs> Toasted. Over. <laughs> Uh, you know we, we should show, just everyone yeah we should we should just leave those jokes in the past god damn it ben uh, i know congratulations everybody we're talking about the x-men movie days of future past this yeah. is our second episode where we'll be talking review feelings things about the movie that we liked mm, i don't know didn't like there can't be many of those right that seems weird yeah <laughs> nervous laughter <laughs> everybody loves the x-men mm. unconditionally no matter what format they're presented in yeah. right? uh in case you haven't seen the movie uh let's start with a synopsis good luck <laughs> according to imdb the x-men send wolverine to the past in a desperate effort to change history and prevent an event that results in doom for both humans and mutants Dun, dun, dun. That's a really simple the summary. Actually, I was expecting it to be much more complicated. I think if you said any more nouns, you'd have a much harder time keeping it brief. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just toss all the nouns out. Uh, so we talked about this briefly in episode one when we were talking about our drinking and smoking game. But for anyone who hasn't listened to that, do you like this movie? How did you feel? Uh, so, uh, I like it generally, you know, um, as I mentioned before. What a ringing endorsement, a long pause, and then I like it generally. <laughs> <laughs> because my bar for X-Men movies in 2014 was so low, like, really yeah, it's low. Like underground. Exactly. Like, first class was fine, but everything after X2 was just, oh god, why? Uh, oh, yeah. So I had a Man. hard time being excited for X-Men movies, even though I like a lot of these characters. So Days of Future Past showed up, and I I remember having a lot of fun. Uh, because we are a time travel podcast, I decided to go back to confer with my 2014 self to find out how I thought about this. A.K.A. I went on the internet and found my movie reviews. For this oh you did do a review for this I oh did. good that's excellent yeah i, I actually did two reviews because i reviewed the original theatrical cut and then i reviewed the rogue cut um they there's a rogue cut i yes. don't know which one i watched <laughs> uh well if anna paquin was in more than one scene uh then you watch the rogue cut but you more than likely you watch the theatrical cut i have that on blu-ray uh but for this rewatch i just watched it on disney plus um, which still includes the shot of uh Wolverine's butt and the uh, the little yeah, ab lines. His obliques. There you go. Real good. <laughs> <laughs> they real good. I made a a note specifically about how good his butt looked. It's like, ooh, thank you, ass shot. You know who <laughs> this audience is? <laughs> it's me. I'm the audience. But yeah, reading my reviews from 2014 and 2015 like made me remember like why exactly I liked this movie as much as I do because 
since everything before that was such a train wreck, my exact words were mediocre at best. And then with all the characters being featured in the promotional campaign, I was afraid that it would repeat the mistakes of Spider-Man 3 by trying to cram as many oh, characters God. in as possible without devoting adequate time to really flushing them out. But, you know hilariously i'm just gonna put like a pin in this i'm so excited for the next suicide squad movie that's doing exactly that thing of shoving in just like a thousand characters that i like know almost nothing about but i'm so excited about that like so i think that it's funny that now so many years later there's like a way to do that that seems like it might actually work too exactly let's continue and i think days of future past was like the beginning of filmmakers seeing how they can do that in a better way since Spider-Man 3 and Last Stand. Oh, God, Last Stand kind of, you know, screwed the pooch on that approach. Totally. Yeah, since Days of Future Past is technically a sequel to First Class and The Last Stand, it was interesting to see how all of that staple of characters were just thrown together, but in a in a fun way. Mm-hmm. The thing that my reviews kept going back to was that it was a lot of fun, like a lot of fun action, a lot of fun moments. Um, I have a small criticism for later on, but overall... Just one? <laughs> it, it was the main thing. It was the main criticism that I talked about in my reviews. Um, okay. But overall, I had fun, you know, because uh, it could have been a lot worse, as we've seen with X-Men Origins Wolverine. So... Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Aaron, (laughs) overall, how did you feel about Days of Future Past? I liked it. I found it enjoyable. Um, There were definitely some things that I did not love about it. Uh, When I started it, literally the first note that I wrote down is, how is this movie 136 minutes long? Because I did (laughs) not remember it was so long. Like, I... I was thinking about it like, oh yeah, I'm blocking out this time so that I can like do this prep and I can like take notes and do stuff. And as soon as I started it, I was like, this movie is going to take me three hours to watch because I'm going to have to stop and like get up and do shit. (laughs) So it was, uh, I was prepared. The bar was in, was on the floor basically. Cause I was like, I remember liking this, but boy, is this a long movie and boy, is this dark. And I do not remember a lot of this. And so at first I was like, I don't trust my own memories that this was a good movie. But basically, as soon as they got back to the 70s, I was like, oh, that's right. That's what I like about this movie. I like all of this stuff that's set during this time. I like this exploration of Wolverine as a character who exists in the 70s before he knows these people. Like, I found all of that very compelling and interesting, even while I knew that it was basically completely made up for this movie and doesn't really follow the the source material that it's based on. I enjoyed a lot of it i liked um oh my god what's his name evan peters as yeah. uh quicksilver, quicksilver. yeah <laughs> it's like i know this name somewhere uh i like evan peters a lot i thought he was an interesting choice for that um isn't he magneto's son yeah that's what i thought okay i was like i barely know anything about these characters and like this doesn't seem right and i feel like I thought that there was going to be some kind of nod to that. There was, in the elevator. Oh, okay. All right. Maybe I just missed it then, because I was, like, really confused. Yeah. Uh, Pietro, or, well, in this movie, it's Peter. Uh, he He's in the elevator with Magneto, and he's just like, oh, so you uh, you move metal. Uh, my mom knew a guy who did that. <laughs> oh, okay. That makes sense. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, that's better than I thought it was then. Yeah, there's... 
there were things about this I really enjoyed. Uh, my notes are just chaos. Because <laughs> a lot of it was like, I don't understand what this reference is. Like, I didn't know that Beast transformed. I thought that Beast was just Beast. I've only ever seen him as the blue character. Mm-hmm. And so it was like confusing at first trying to figure out, like, I know that that's who this character is, but I personally don't understand how this like chronology works. I wrote a lot of notes about Mystique. Like, Mystique seems super dope, but I like don't really understand her timeline or her age. And so that, like, I know that they said that she grew up with Professor X, but like, is that true? Is that was was her age mishandled in the original X-Men movie? And that's why I feel like they should be different ages. Like, I don't totally know where my ideas about Mystique have come from. And like, so I find that a, a little hard to like keep track of as well. Also, I don't really like Jennifer Lawrence and like the second she appeared, I was just like, oh yeah, that's right. I forgot this was you. In my head, I was like, oh, it's Rebecca Romaine. Oh, it's, oh, it's not. It's this lady. <laughs> and so that was like a disappointment in a way I wasn't really expecting either. Um, a question that I have that I kind of need somebody to explain to me. I remember Stryker. I know that Stryker is the guy who does all of the shit to Wolverine and they like obviously address that inside of the movie. And yes. then at the end, he's the one who like pulls him out of the river or whatever. I, I feel like there's information about him that I am forgetting. Is his kid a mutant? Is that who I'm thinking of? Is there something else about Stryker that's like really important? Or is it only that he's the guy who creates Wolverine? Uh, it's, yeah, he's the guy who runs the Weapon X program. Uh, he's the one who causes all that trauma for Wolverine. I think you're confusing him with the senator from the first movie. Who's? I might be, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, that would make sense. Yeah, but Stryker... Uh, the the main part is that he's the driving okay. force behind the Weapon X program. Okay. Also, I, things did, that are confusing when you don't really know the mythology yes. of it. <laughs> but also, did he pull Wolverine out of the water? Wait, what? Did he not pull him out of the water? Did you notice that the final shot of the movie before the credits was on Stryker's eyes, which were yellow? Oh, yes, I did notice that. So I assumed that it was Mystique in that moment, but at the same time, yeah. like, he... He has to become Wolverine. Like, he does wake up in the present again and, like, matches up to Xavier at the end and has metal claws. So he... Right. It did happen. Yeah, something happened. Something has happened to him that he became the metal man. Like, that. that's a thing that happened. So it's... Is it irrelevant if it was actually her or not? Like, did she act as Striker all that time? Like, I, I don't know. Am I supposed to know the answer to that? I also don't know. I feel like that's the whole thing with the X-Men. <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> they do love their, ooh, it was Mystique all along, flashes. Yeah. It's, uh... <sighs> yeah. <laughs> that's definitely something that Simon Kinberg should have thought of, you know, since obviously there were more movies coming after this. They weren't thinking ahead. The curse of the X-Men <laughs> that nobody seems to think ahead oh, when yeah. they're creating any piece of X-Men. 100%. That's not true. Some authors are very thoughtful about it but some are not yeah the the people who who write the comics are very thoughtful of what's coming next but the people who are doing the movies or who did the movies in the past could not be bothered to pick up a comic book yeah basically (laughs) well Uh, and i think part of the problem is that the comic books can have multiple continuities each different run of the comic gets to have their own continuity and their own choices but the movies need to pick one they need to choose a lane for real (laughs) one thing that i remember struggling with uh when superhero movies started becoming like a more prominent thing 
was like, oh, this isn't exactly like the the source material and why can they just adapt the story the way it was written but like as i've grown older i've come to accept that you know the movies are a different universe there are multiple universes in these within these comic book stories so you could take different approaches with characters that you already know and that won't affect how much you enjoy those characters still you know because you could still enjoy the comic of days of future past with without having seen the movie or vice versa you know because they're all they're their own things yeah it's the harry potter effect where like you just have to accept that they're different universes like it's very rare for a film adaptation to like really faithfully follow the book and when it does sometimes it doesn't even work like the and sometimes the movies are better if you follow the film or you follow the book too closely like this is like a weird example but uh the movie the notebook is much better than the book the notebook they are very very similar story-wise there's only like a couple of things that are in the book that aren't in the movie but the movie made the right choice to cut them and so when you read the book after having watched the movie it's like oh that's oh man (laughs) i wish these were more different (laughs) like it's, it's bizarre you can get like two sides of that same coin speaking of straying from the comic something that we touched on in episode one was that Kitty Pride, played by Elliot Page, like wasn't really spotlighted in the movie when they should have been. Yes, definitely. Yeah, because in the comic, Kitty is the main character who goes back, not Wolverine. Thanks to Rachel Summers. Yes. Mm-hmm. What what is Kitty Pride's power? Kitty can go through walls. Yeah, she can right? phase her body. So okay. the the way that I justified the time travel. Uh, was that she's phasing through time and space, which is a big ask, I think. But that's how I justified it, you know? So I was able to suspend my disbelief, even though this device is really ridiculous. Okay, that makes sense, because I made a note about that, too, that the the time travel mechanism is that your consciousness travels back in time. Kitty said, a few days, quote-unquote. And so that makes sense to me, that, like, in Kitty's mind, she's like, okay, I'm pushing your consciousness through this, like, solid matter that is time, because I guess time is time is kind of an immutable thing in the same way that, like, a wall would be. (laughs) And so if you can control three dimensions, why wouldn't you theoretically be able to control four dimensions? And so I can understand how she's like... it clicked for me. Mm-hmm. I like it made sense to me how they got there, but like sort of like we talked about before, I don't really understand why she couldn't have gone and done it herself. Right. Like it, it's whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you're supposed to understand. I think that's kind of a hand wavy. Absolutely. Well, there is a reason. Mm-hmm. It's because they're going farther in this one. Uh, okay. In the 1970s, Kitty Pride is not yet alive, and so they yes. had to do some jiggery pokery oh. there. Okay, that actually makes so much sense. Like, I wish they, that was clearer. Yeah. <laughs> like, that makes a, that seems like a, a much better reason to use Wolverine, honestly, than even just the fact that he can heal. Like, straight up, bro, you were alive yeah. and she was not. Like, just makes a lot more sense. And initially... Okay, that yeah, that was really unclear. <laughs> initially, in within the storyline of the movie, uh, Professor Xavier wanted to go back, but with Kitty explaining that it would tear his mind apart, even though he has the strongest brain you know in the world like he uh it it would still do damage to him that it wouldn't do to wolverine because of his healing factor yeah it's i i felt very torn about the idea too of the 
the very unsubtle heroin references with the treatment that Xavier was having too in the past that like, oh, it it calms the pain. All I feel is so much pain and this like really extended tourniquet scene of him like jabbing the needle in his arm. It was like, okay guys, this is this is a little much. Like, do we really need this like triumph over heroin story inside of this like genetic uh, genocide story that's also happening? Like, it just felt really heavy handed to me in a way that I was like... I would have just accepted if he was, like, not happy that he can't walk. Like, that's okay. <laughs> so it, that also, like, pulled me out. And it, I completely forgot about it, to be honest. Like, I clearly didn't enjoy it very much the first time I saw it. Because when I was watching it this time, I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, I picture Xavier as, a, as P- fucking Patrick Stewart in a chair. Let's get real. Like, that's exactly how I picture Professor X. Like, that's that's who he should yes. be, in my opinion. And so it was weird to come back to James, even having seen First Class and, like, knowing that he was walking in that movie and, like, gets shot at the end and that's how he winds up in the chair or whatever. It was still so bizarre to see him in this and, like, get over it. Come on. You're Charles Xavier. Like, be better. It, it was very bizarre. And, like, that he has to then have his own, like... He meets his own consciousness in the future. It's like, okay, well, if your brain is strong enough to have done that, then why weren't you strong enough to have gone back? Like, couldn't you have just, like, understood? And, like, and also you would have all of this knowledge. Just like Wolverine wakes up and knows all of this shit. Like, you would have just woken up in your body and been like, oops, got to stop taking this heroin, sit in this chair again. Like, it, it just didn't make sense to me. It felt so convoluted. Technically, McAvoy went into Logan's consciousness which was connected to the future where Charles Xavier that we know is. So Patrick Stewart and James McAvoy were both in Wolverine's consciousness and that's how they connected. But it's okay, still a lot. A you know, sense. It's, it's that's yeah, a lot. <laughs> this movie asks a lot. If you really This movie a lot. <laughs> I think that that's a uh, understatement. This movie asks a lot of you as an audience member. Like one of my other notes at the top of my other pages, Magneto killed JFK. X Men is wild because <laughs> that's how it felt in that moment of like, are you for real? Are we really also doing well, JFK now? Like for real? Yeah, that, I wrote that in my notes too. Um, a note about JFK uh, with uh, Eric talking about how he was trying to save uh, JFK because he was a mutant. He's one of us. I know. I was, I was just, just like, like, are you fucking huh? kidding me? What? <laughs> right? How is JFK a mutant? The man could barely stand upright. He had to lie <laughs> on a wooden board for like 14 hours a day right before he died. Like, come on. What What kind of mutant? I have to know. Uh, he's charming. That That's his power is that he's very charming. <laughs> yeah, he has like a shitty power and Magneto's like, it's a shit power, but he's one of us. <laughs> Fun fact, JFK just had an extra toe. Yeah, that's that's all it was. Kind of messed up his balance, but it was useful occasionally. I actually love the idea of JFK just being like a shitty mutant. In my opinion, the shittiest mutant power, because I like I'm not super familiar, but the one that I feel like is just the dumbest, is definitely rogue. Like, what a shitty power. All you do is kill everybody around you? Like that sounds like a horrible thing as like a person growing up to be like, This is my power. I just touch you and you well, die. And like I know that it becomes cooler and she like evolves or whatever, but like just as an outside perspective, like that blows. Or like, oh, I can like make the wind go a little faster. Like those kind of shitty powers. I'm like, I want to go to school for one of those. Well, I can like walk slightly faster every eighth step or whatever. Like that's my mutant power. Well, Rogue's power is is more so that she takes other people's power. Yeah. So like she drains yes. their life force 
kind of. And like when she touches other mutants, right. it comes with their powers. So, I mean, yeah, until you meet other mutants, that's just a, a real shitty right, thing to just, have. <laughs> you just murder everybody. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, speaking of Rogue, she was um, supposed to be uh, a more prominent part in this movie. Um, when Wolverine freaks out and accidentally cuts Kitty uh, in the Rogue cut of the movie, that's when Xavier and Magneto from the future go on a little buddy side quest to find Rogue to help Kitty. So she takes Kitty's powers <laughs> and, like, you know, holds Wolverine in the past until Kitty can pull herself together. It, interesting. It, it was a really interesting side story because you got to see more of Magneto's point of view and how much it changed from Fastbender to uh, McKellen. You know, and I mm-hmm. thought that really added to the movie um but that's not the cut we're talking about so (laughs) yeah well it's interesting too because i think that they did do at least a semi-decent job of that with the ways that um eric interacted with wolverine like when they were on the plane and he's like fucking around with the plane and then he like shakes everything down and once they get normal again Wolverine's immediate response is, so you were always an asshole, and you want to pick all that shit up? Like, that seems like the perfect way to interact with that, like, he was such a different person then, that, like, even the way that Wolverine, who respects him in the future and respects his power, like, it explains how he, like, lets his guard down almost around Eric in the end, in that, like, battle that Wolverine's like, oh, you're just this dickhead who's, like, hanging around, and I think that that's an interesting kind of same thing that they do. It sucks that, again, they, like, sucked a female character's part away in order to give it to a male character. Like, that blows. But I think that they did at least kind of a decent job with that, with Wolverine in those instances. Yeah. And and I like I like Michael Fassbender as, as Eric. I think that he's a good choice for him. He has... There's something about him that's, like, you're contemptible in a way that I, like, kind of want you to get beaten up, but also I want to kiss you. And, like, Ian McKellen has that same energy where you're, like, mm, you're just full of chaos, but also, like, you're so coddly, and I want to be your best friend. <laughs> uh, there's a Magneto story that I love that was... I believe it was written by Cullen Bunn, where Magneto goes back and, like, hunts down uh, Nazis, basically. Uh, and I think Fastbender oh. would be great in that type of Magneto story. Oh, 100%. Like, he totally has that, the kind of person Magneto would need to be in that moment, too, is, like, the perfect way that, or, like, sorry, I'm just, like, stuttering, because I'm, oh, I'm so excited about that <laughs> idea. Uh, I feel like the energy that Fastbender brought in that role is, like, perfect for the kind of energy that would be needed for Magneto at that place as a character, mm-hmm. too. Like, Magneto's one of the only characters I, like, actually could have told you their backstory to. Like, I know that his deal is that he was in a concentration camp, and, like, he was impacted by this, and, like, that's also what brought up his hate against humanity, because he sees the way that humanity sees an other and, and murders them. Like, he's the one that I would be able to point to as, like, this is part of my shared cl- count cultural collective that i can like point immediately at because i feel like his story is compelling in a way that a lot of the other experts aren't and maybe that's just because i'm not as invested in the comics and don't know all of their backgrounds but something about magneto's story really grabs me and also again magneto is right and it's weird to watch a movie where we're like constantly saying he's not because he is like it's really clear that magneto is right like 
basically the whole time. Well, Magneto is all about being right, but using the wrong methodology. That's his whole deal. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the interesting things about Magneto is that we can all get behind his reasoning. Even if you haven't experienced what he has, everyone Mm -hmm. has a favorite X-Man because your experiences mirror something about them. That's one of the beautiful things about the X-Men. This one grew up in this way, and that's why they behave the way they do, and why they expressed their mutant powers the way they did, and why they picked this side or that side. Magneto, Xavier, and Wolverine are as popular as they are because they fit in with the more universal stories that we all tell ourselves as a cultural consciousness. But they're Mm -hmm. all outsider stories. Yeah. It makes sense to me why people really like the X-Men. And, like, again, even as someone who feels like I know almost nothing about the X-Men, I really like them because I feel like, like you're saying, like, there is a universal story just in, I think, by volume. It feels like there are so many people that you could connect with inside of the X-Men's universe Mm -hmm. that, like, anyone can find a story that they find understandable and relatable to them personally and again i think that's why i connect with it like they're even knowing just a little bit about each characters i'm like i like this one i like the way that this person acts or i like the way that it would feel if i had this power i always said that i would be uh nightcrawler i love that i love his power i think it's fucking awesome and like i know a little bit about his backstory and know that it's fucked up i think but that feels like that's a universal truth about all of the x-men in some kind of way so but yeah, I, I like him a lot. So so we've been talking about some like serious things that that arise due to talking about the X-Men. Uh and Aaron typically shares how uh she has things in her notes that are pretty insightful and interesting. And in my notes, it says Xavier Hart's Magneto. Yes! <laughs> oh my god. Like I <laughs> like Oh, we spent all of this time fighting, Charles, and if we could have just had a few of those years back, I'm just like, oh my god, just kiss. <laughs> I ship Magneto and Professor X almost as much as I ship actual Ian McKellen and Patrick They're the Stewart. Best. Like, I think that's a huge part of it, too, is I'm like, ooh, kiss, kiss now, now's the time to kiss, but like, also do that backstage, and also in the rest of your lives. <laughs> <laughs> so I, it's hard to say for me, like... What what was the chicken and what was the egg? <laughs> is it that I think that they're both so well cast as both these characters who I want to kiss? Or is it that I just love both of them so much that I'm like, oh, but boyfriends. <laughs> uh, they're the best. Adorable. I remember. I love that they're like real best yes. friends, too. It's just the greatest thing in the they're world. They're so great. Uh, I remember when I studied abroad in England, they were in a production of Waiting for Godot on the West End. And I could oh, I could God. not get tickets because they were just sold out the oh, entire time. No, I remember when that happened. The when they had that run, like, oh man, yeah, it's those tickets were harder to get than Hamilton yeah. tickets. Like they were oh, gone. Yeah. Like the second they were available, they were gone. It would have <sighs> been great to see that because who wouldn't want to yep. see that, right? Who would not? Who given the opportunity to see Patrick Stewart and Eden McKellen, even in a f- controversial opinion hot take shitty play like waiting for Godot like I still want to see the two of them on stage together for what feels like eternity <laughs> lol that's uh, also a waiting for Godot joke <laughs> see it's not just time travel uh, humor puns. here <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> oh my god. Oh my man. I wonder how many of our listeners will laugh at that waiting for Godot joke. <laughs> There's at least one other person who's like, <laughs> I got that. You got me. Yeah. It's me. I'm that person. See? At least one. <laughs> so what did you guys think about the structure of this movie? So <sighs> I was going to get to this, and my biggest criticism of X-Men Days of Future Past is that I don't think it really took any chances, you know, um, in, a, in a way that, you know, Nolan's Batman or Captain America the Winter Soldier took chances and elevated the superheroes and the story, right? I think uh, Days of Future Past was laid out pretty much how you'd expect it to go, um, but it, uh, with a lot of fun moments. You know, there are there are things that they could have pushed further that they just didn't. Um, you know, one of the things being like, hey, yeah, let's keep Kitty Pride as the main character. But also like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, just things with Mystique, you know, as dark as they got, probably could have added another layer to that things in the future like that it was fine you know like i still had a lot of fun going along for the ride i got to see some of my favorite lesser known x-men be badasses like like warpath and blink you know even iceman gets gets a little uh you know victory moment even though he gets those really uh really gruesome moments too like in the very beginning holy shit yeah yeah yeah, I I feel like I I kind of agree with that. I feel like the thing that that I really bumped up against was that because of the way of the structure, it almost felt like it was more of a period piece than a time travel mm-hmm. movie. It felt like once they got to the 70s, other than the like occasional flashbacks like with the acid one that we talked about earlier, acid, quote unquote. It didn't really feel like a time travel movie. It felt like once he was there, he like there was the very first moment where he was like, "Ooh, calm thoughts, gotta keep keep calm thoughts," and then like the one moment where he's pulled out of it. But it just felt like a a a period piece that had like vignettes of time travel stuck inside of it, and that it it I didn't dislike that because the parts I liked the best were the period piece parts, also because it was like surprisingly well costumed Mm -hmm. and like i thought that the set decoration was was very well done and like there was almost none of that for the present day with the like war that was happening because of like the darkness and like we're all wearing black because blood or fucking whatever like that it it just felt so stark in between the two of them that it was yeah i don't if you took those time travel pieces out with the people in the future fighting the apocalyptic war it would have just been a fine period piece of wolverine in the 70s to be honest and like i think could have stood almost by itself like that i would i would actually be really interested to see what that kind of cut would look like where it's implied that he's been time traveling but all you see is the 1973 stuff i feel like it might stand kind of fine to be honest without the other time travel stuff which is like weird for a time travel movie that you could like basically completely remove it and it reads almost identically i think the challenge in what days of future past was doing was that brian singer was trying to find a way to marry his x trilogy with what matthew vaughn had started to create with first class so to (laughs) to include the big names like halle berry and ian mckellen and all of them 
alongside Michael Fassbender and the new class. Like it's uh there there is a fine line that you tread where it's like, okay, you're getting giving more attention to these other people and is it worth it to have all these other older stars like which which is why I can see why they cut out Anna Paquin um and Rogue almost mm-hmm. entirely. Uh even though yeah, that cut sense. does add something to the story. I could see how he could justify doing that. How long is that cut? Sorry to interject with the question. How long is the rope cut? That's a good question. I don't think it's that much longer. Because um, this is... It's already two hours and 16 minutes. Like, if it was just going to round it up to, like, two and a half hours, it feels like it would have been worth it to have that stuff with Rogue. It's two and a half hours. Yeah, two and a half hours, I feel like, would have been fine. It's not that much longer. But I bet a huge part of that is re-explaining, like, making it contextually understandable Mm -hmm. for other people, too. Like, yeah. (sighs) Alas. Instead, we get 1973 Wolverine. (laughs) One of the things I love about X-Men Days of Future Past is that ending bit in the school, because I really love X2 and all the characters that they introduced, like Beast, Kelsey Grammer as Beast. Uh, I think... He's such yes. a good Beast. Like he, That's what I think of when I think of Beast as him. Yeah, it's just... Oh, uh, seeing everyone happy, too, you know? Like, seeing scott and gene remember people being happy in the same place together (laughs) oh lol it's like real life but yeah so seeing that scene basically shows how the last stand was undone how x-men origins was undone and those are basically the worst things to happen in the x-men film franchise so uh, up (laughs) until that point um so basically it was trying to steer the ship in the right way and then apocalypse and dark phoenix happened and then you know we're right down the shitter again but you know it's it was good for a little while classic <laughs> like we, we had days of future past and then we had deadpool and we were all really happy oh man yes it's weird that deadpool consistently makes better x-men movies than it's X-Men true. movies. like it it's bizarre. Like, I think part of it is that Ryan Reynolds loves and understands comics in a way that many producers just, like, yes. don't or refuse to. And so he, like, actually gives a shit about the properties mm-hmm. that are in the movies that he's creating. And I feel like it really shows with the X-Men. Even the way that he, as Deadpool, interacts with the empty house. Like, or, like, we can't show these people because of copyright problems like that wink and a nod shows more knowledge and care for those characters that it feels like a lot of x-men movies put in which is just bizarre yeah that's why i'm glad that (sighs) they're continuing with the deadpool franchise uh now that fox is owned by disney uh unfortunately they're not using the same writers as the other two deadpool movies uh they but they recruited um a pair of writers from bob's burgers so oh, it could okay. it could still pan out. Um Okay. I don't yeah. hate that. That's nice. Um But yeah, to see how Days of Future Past wiped away all of these things that I disliked about the X-Men movie franchise was uh was a big plus for this movie for me. Uh because mm-hmm. God, I hated X-Men Origins Wolverine so much. Just Dude. so much. <sighs> Okay, so the Wolverine movies, which is the one with 
um the shriver oh yeah that's uh, origins yeah Leisha? leave that's yeah. origins okay okay so it's wolverine origins and then the wolverine yep. is the one that came out after that where they were like lol pretend this other one yeah. never happened right and okay. then it was logan i remember seeing okay yes okay i remember seeing the original one the origins one in theaters at midnight <laughs> and i went with my cousin and we uh we smoked a joint beforehand which was like the first time he'd ever done that and he got so stoned that he just immediately passed out <laughs> and i was like you made the right decision oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah not not great for a long time i was like did we just fever dream that did that movie not really happen <laughs> it seems like that's what they want yep. us to think it's like the original hulk they're like uh, look away don't look at that <laughs> look at i'm this other still thing. mad at ang lee for that bro why why is ang lee directing a fucking hulk movie <laughs> like <laughs> I like Ang Lee, but the thing he did immediately prior to that was fucking Brokeback Mountain. Like, it was not an appropriate choice. <laughs> Whatever. I think, honestly, that he had an Oscar and that they wanted Oscar winner Ang Lee so that it could bring prestige to the superhero genre. I, I would bet money that that's a huge part of why they picked him. Yeah, I could... I could definitely see Universal doing that. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, well, if we... F-, and that that was, like, the whole feel of that movie. It was, it was like, darker and it was supposed to be real serious and it's like okay just just wait for christopher nolan to do that he'll he can do this differently like angley went on to create like really good movies and and did before obviously sure. fucking he's an oscar winner but like he it just seemed like such a strange and inappropriate choice for the fucking oh, yeah. hulk like it just didn't match at all so i just have a huge feeling that i mean that's a huge part of movie consideration is can we tag so and so has won an award onto our trailer cuz it makes people go see movies yeah. i don't really understand that personally that's not a thing that drives me to the movies but i know i know people who feel like oh well these people are good enough to have been recognized before that means that this will be x amount better like that's how well. movies work <laughs> No, 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 no. <laughs> I yeah, wish. right. Like, look at all the talent that was in X Men Origins Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> Wild. Speaking of like really subtle hints that I really liked inside of this, there is a very subtle hint to Hugh Jackman being a Broadway performer in this when they're in the car and they're traveling and they get out and Xavier says to him, That was actually really nice. And he said, Nah, that's just for the drive. That ends here. I believe they were talking about him and singing show tunes in the car. Like that that's the implication is that Hugh Jackman has been like singing to them while they're driving. I just found that so delightful. Like I, I love Hugh Jackman as a performer and I liked him before he was Wolverine. So I'm one of the weirdos who got brought into X-Men because I liked the person who was cast as Wolverine as opposed to the character. And so there were other points too, where I was looking at Hugh Jackman, like, bro, you did so many steroids for so many years and like really committed to this part. And like, I know a lot of people are like, it's just exercise. Like get real, like grow up and get real. He took steroids for a super long time. Like the moment he stopped being Wolverine, he went back to looking like a normal dude who performs on Broadway. Like it's really clear that that's how he got this jacked and like it is commendable that he spent a decade doing that like that's that is a hard thing to do it's not like oh well he did this because it was easier like it is a very difficult thing to put on a hundred pounds of fucking muscle mass for decades so i appreciate that like nod to here's this thing that we've required of you for a really long time and here's who you'll be as like the second you stop having to do this where you and ryan reynolds and jake gyllenhaal can go be fucking weirdo friends together i'm sure hugh jackman got some tips from his friend triple h about working out for to become wolverine i believe they used the same personal trainer for a long time oh. but th- i think that's actually something that happened is that they're connected th- i mean it makes sense yeah. right if you if you want to work at a physique that you're going to bulk up and be able to maintain for a decade like 
it, those are the kind of trainers that you'd be going to is someone who has proven results of being able to teach people how to do that. Steroids, <laughs> but also like you do have to work out a lot. <laughs> You've also got to find a guy um, who knows how to get the steroids. Oh, totally. That. That is a huge part of taking steroids is you've got to figure out how to get them. Like, that's a for real thing. <laughs> and again, I don't particularly look down on them. If you're not using them to beat people in a competitive atmosphere where they're outlawed, who right. gives a fuck? Like, sure, do that. That's fine. I know some professional bodybuilders who, once they stopped being pro, started taking steroids because they were like, I like the way my body looks and I'm old now and I need to be able to, like, keep my body from fucking itself up. Like, I think that should be totally acceptable personally oh we haven't talked about peter dinklage oh, at all yet jesus uh, how did we how did we overlook that i don't know <laughs> because he's he's a great addition I, to this universe i agree i really like him basically you cast peter dinklage in something and you know he's gonna oh, yeah. be good in it. i don't think i've ever seen him in something where he did not deliver in the role that he was cast did you in. see knights of badassdom no i don't know what that is <laughs> it's a, it's a group of uh like d- essentially a D group uh renaissance fair type people and then what's the big inciting incident that like it comes to life kind of uh they are larpers and they get their hands on a magic book and they read a spell thinking that it's like a a goof thing for the game classic okay yep and it summons an actual succubus i think Yep, that's what it was i forgot about the book but yes that's what happens (laughs) okay but he's great in that He's great in everything, pretty much. He got cast as the same part in two different versions of the same movie. Like, he's in Death at a Funeral playing the same character in both movies because there is no one better. Like, Who else are you going to get? <laughs> truly. Like, you watch the first one and, like, okay, we can we can redo this. We can, like, Americanize this cast and, and, like, make this a largely black cast in a way that, like, really works. And I think it's a fun adaptation of that very English story. But Peter Dinklage is perfect. Like, there is no one else could have done that role because everyone else would have been like, ah, but Peter Dinklage was better. Or, oh, I wish it had been Peter Dinklage to just eliminate that completely and be like, fuck it, just cast him again. (laughs) Like, it's so good. I love him. Peter Dinklage elevates every role that he's in. 100%. Like, every scene that has Trask in it is better because Peter Dinklage was in it. And I don't think you can say that about any of the other like side characters in this movie. I think you might be right. I, th- you know, I think that the one other person that I made a note of who I didn't think like really elevated it, but who I thought did a surprisingly good job was the fake Nixon. Mm-hmm. I thought that the guy who played him, Mark Camacho, like did brought an appropriate amount of Nixon to this role in a way that like elevated those presidential scenes in a way that I was like not necessarily expecting. Because normally when you have a fake president, they're like you kind of just have to like wink not about it and like okay whatever but i thought this guy was particularly well cast in that sense i thought he did a surprisingly good job for what those kind of characters normally look like but overall i would agree it was nice that they didn't caricature him yeah yeah i totally agree and like his profile was very like visually he looked a lot like him in several shots that i was like really impressed with the way that they made that camera work work too but i would agree i feel like peter dinklage more than anyone else like he brings a uh, a gravitas to the scenes where even if he's not necessarily doing something that's super serious in those moments like he is very good at the scene where he's being raven is him i thought also was great because you get to see peter dinklage be a little like you could tell it's not him i thought all the actors who were playing mystique in those moments did a great job of like 
this is what a person pretending to be this person would act like. And I thought Peter Dinklage especially did a great job of that. Especially when he's like, is that a new blouse? I think that's really nice. It was like, who? that's not Trask. Who the fuck is that? Like, I thought that was a really smart choice. And I, I thought he did a really good job yeah, with that. It, I like it when actors get to be themselves as someone else playing them. Like when mm-hmm. Linda Bonham Carter had to be Hermione being Bellatrix Lestrange. Yeah. Like, I always think mm-hmm. those are interesting moments for an actor, especially, to, to play. Yeah, like, it's a it's a really particular kind of acting challenge. And as, as someone who was an actor for a long time, like, those are... Someone pretending to be somebody else is such an interesting, like, Russian nesting doll of creating a character, too, that, like, as an acting challenge, it's so much fun. Like, I love the interview with uh, Helena Bottom Carter about what it was like to play... Hermione Granger because she had to like study the way Emma Watson talked in a way that like as an actor I found really interesting like these are the kind of things that you are using as your triggers to become this person playing this person like I just think all that stuff is fascinating and you know when we were talking about Palm Springs we talked about how great J.K. Simmons is and I think Mm -hmm. Peter Dinklage is in the same caliber performer you know that like you can't really beat his performance you know like mm-hmm. like you said totally. about with death in a funeral like you, you can't get anyone better so get him back you can't get another a better j jonah jameson so you got to get jk simmons again right exactly 100 percent. i know too that in the comics i remember the part of the, like the online discourse about this was that Trask in the comics is not a little person, yeah. right? And so I remember there was a lot of talk about like, is it appropriate to have cast someone in this that like it it does kind of paint a picture of disabled people are trying to like shift so that other people are eliminated and like that I know that's not like originally part of this story and I think it's like a a dangerous layer to maybe add on top of things, but I thought that that they did a fine job with it inside of the actual movie. Like I understand uh, why some people thought that the, uh, the choice was maybe not super appropriate, but like we said, Peter Dinklage is so good at his job that almost, it never even felt like part of that character. It didn't feel like Trask as a quote unquote disabled person was doing this. It felt like this is just a dude who happens to be a little person who ascended to this rank in the military and, can do this shit because he's yeah. good at it. So it's it's interesting uh, the way that the public perception of it like almost marks the way that the casting was done even though I kind of understand why they picked him because again yeah. he's fucking great. Like the his his performance superseded everything else. So they they changed yes. the character a bit to accommodate. Yeah, I yeah. completely agree. I just remember that being a part of it like oh they made this decision and like did they make this for the right reasons and like that maybe that's an example of like the intent isn't necessarily important in this case because the actor in that like authored this actual character on screen for us to see treated this in such a way that like his intent is maybe what right. matters more. So, Aaron, would you say that X Men Days of Future Past is worth your time? I would honestly. It's it is longer than I remembered. And those first, like, 15 minutes, if you're like, what the fuck is going on, are a little difficult to push through. But so much of it is good, and so much of it is much better than I remembered that, yeah, I would say this movie was worth my time. It's 
once I put it on, I was like glad to be watching it again. It's not something I would have picked to like, ooh, Days of Future Past is on. I'm going to put this on. But like now maybe I would. Maybe I would put it on as like a background thing if it was on TV in a way that I did not appreciate before yeah. this rewatch. What about you? Definitely. Worth your time? Uh, in my opinion, this is the best of the like full team X-Men movies uh, since X2. None of the other X-Men movies really measure up in a way that this one did for me sure it could have been because my bar was set so low but like here we are what six years later and i'm still talking about how much i like this movie so i think it definitely holds up yeah past me and future me agree (laughs) (laughs) time is immutable (laughs) 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 all right Well, I guess that wraps up this episode of Review. You can find us on the internet. You can interact with us using the hashtag Time2Party. That's time, the number two, party. You can also find me on Instagram at NYDUrgency. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at bsilverio 20 You can find me on Instagram at TheIndecisionist and on Twitter at Indecisionist. You can also find information about this show and all of the other stuff coming out of Indecisionist Productions at Indecisionist.com. Special thanks to April Moralba for our podcast logo art and to Marlon Longit of Marlon and the Shakes for our rockin' theme music. Yeah. We will see you for our next episode. We're gonna glide down the lazy river of edutainment. <laughs> I have no idea what Ben's gonna talk about, so I'm super excited. Join us next time, friends. Until then, be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes. Yeah. 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 Get there. <laughs>